All right. So we are um, going through the fruit of the Spirit. And so what is the fruit of the Spirit? Um, how do we get it? How do we live it out? If we were to look at the fruit of the Spirit and we were to break it down into like fruit juices of the Spirit, this is what it breaks down to. Uh, these are all just the different things that Paul lists, that there's love, there's joy, there's peace, there's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all the fruits of the Spirit. These are all the things that Evidently, God is going to be growing inside of me as I follow him, right? These are qualities that he produces within us. And these are also, I think, qualities that we'd all like to have. Um, I can't think of anyone that doesn't want more peace in their life, more goodness, gentleness, self-control. I think these are all things that we would all like to acquire and grow in. And so what we see is God produces this in me. And at the same time, these are things that I want. And so we're working in tandem with God uh, to produce this fruit in our lives. And, and when we talk about working in tandem with God, we call this process uh, discipleship. In that I am the student and Jesus is the teacher. Even Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew are go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say go and make converts. He didn't say go and teach them truths about me. He said go and make disciples. And discipleship was something very specific to Jesus and to Judaism. This whole idea of the rabbi and the students. And so we are the students and we are disciples and we're meant to go and make disciples. And so when we think about discipleship, we also think about using our time intentionally. Last week I talked about the idea of if you had wanted to grow a garden full of tomatoes, you wouldn't just go grab a bunch of tomato seeds and then just go throw them out on your property uh, just hoping they would grow, right? When we get tomato seeds, we make sure that we have the right soil, we have fertilizer, we put it in the right place. We're very intentional because we want that fruit to grow in our garden, or at least I do because I love pico de gallo. Um, so we're wanting that to grow, but you don't just throw it out randomly. Again, you're very intentional. And so the way in which we use our time in discipleship is also very important with our, in our relationship with Christ. And so the way that I think is very, very simple to be able to see this, because I'm a visual learner, is that I devote part of my time up to the Father, that I'm making sure that I'm spending time with Him in devotion, in prayer, uh, in meditation, in fasting, um, and then in the in component, where I spend time with my brothers and sisters within the church, that this is church or following Christ is something that we do together. It's not just this individual experience. I have brothers and sisters in the faith. And then last, we have the out component, which is how we live out our mission with God. Like how is God demonstrating his kingdom not only to me, but at the same time, how is he demonstrating his kingdom through me? And so um, when we think about devoting our time to the person and purposes of Jesus very intentionally, we see that fruit will grow. So the key text for the fruit of the Spirit comes from Galatians. Uh, in, in this book, Paul is explaining the difference between someone who is attempting, attempting to live by the law and rules and someone who is a new creation in Christ led by the Spirit. So this is Galatians chapter 5, um, verses 22 through 26, and it says this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So again, this is where we get the whole text of the fruit of the Spirit. And today we're going to be looking at the fruit of peace. And so I think about this again. I think most of us want these fruits in our life. And I was thinking about it. um, Who doesn't want more peace in their life? Don't raise your hand, actually, if it's not you. You're like, I don't want more peace. Um, I mean, what would it be like to wake up in the morning and have your husband or wife say, hey, honey, how are you? And you're just like, I'm fully at peace. It would be amazing. It would be so good. So when we look at peace, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break it down in a couple different ways. What is not Christ-centered peace? What is biblical and Christ-centered peace? And how do we get God's peace or the fruit of peace in our lives? So first off, what is not Christ-centered peace? Because when when we talk about peace, there's a lot of different ideas that could be floating around. And certainly the world has its idea of peace. And so one of the most ironic ones to me is when we think about this. This is the end of World War II. And so you have all these people that are celebrating because there's finally peace. And we can just imagine that this is in New York somewhere and everyone's just, they're partying. They're having a great time. There's peace everywhere, right? Or not, there's peace in their lives and it's just one of the greatest days. Uh, Yet on the other side of the world, what we see that when we say that there is peace, that Hiroshima is certainly not experiencing that type of peace. So there's this idea of wartime peace, but in order to get that peace, there's a lot of damage that ends up happening, okay? Because at the same time, the other people are celebrating, we're at peace. Another type of peace that we might find within the world is using some type of substances. That these things offer peace, that really I'm trying to find peace in my life, that there's something wrong with me in some type of medication, not to say that medication is bad, don't, don't hear me say that, you know, but the idea that, man, my life is so stressful, so if I just smoke some weed, then I'll have peace in my life. But is this real peace? Is this lasting peace? Is this biblical peace? Another idea of peace that if your political party ends up being in charge, then that's what needs to happen. The thing that's going to bring peace is if my people are in the Oval Office or if my people are in charge of the state of California and we, I need to try and rail to try and make sure that that happens. Um, but is that actually peace? Does anyone know the political party that has the owl? It's actually called like the Owl Party. And it, it, what it stands for is Out With Logic and On With Lunacy. And its motto was, we don't give a hoot. <laughs> hey, don't ever say you didn't learn some at Vineyard City Church, okay? All right. Um, however, one of the people, and this, this man to me is one of the greatest, he is so fantastic. His name is Thomas Sowell. He's an economist that uh, is part of the Hoover Institute down in Stanford. 
fantastic. Um, kind of wild in many ways. But he would say, there are no solutions, there are only trade-offs. And so when I think about the world's concept of peace, because he's not a believer, and he thinks about, wait, there are no solutions, there are only trade-offs. This has been a very interesting idea for me that I've heard from Thomas Sowell. But again, he's not a believer. So when we talk about peace in terms of the world, are there truly no solutions? There's only trade-offs? That's what I get? But what if there was a solution? What if I could have peace, inner peace, and that peace could radiate from me to my family, to my neighbors, to the city, and to the world? Because that's certainly what the Bible would put forward, that there is a peace that we can have and have it deeply. And all of the fruit of the Spirit we can see in Jesus. And when we're talking about biblical peace, peace is not a perspective. Peace is not a momentary high. Peace is not gaining more control. Peace is found in a person, in Jesus, trusting and believing and following a person, and then devoting ourselves to the purposes of Jesus, King Jesus. That's what we see biblical peace being. Again, it's not a perspective, it's not a momentary high, and it's not me gaining more control. It's found in a person. So we're going to look at a couple different things that Jesus said in Matthew and John, um, because when we look at Jesus' words, he certainly promises peace. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me if you're weary and, and I will give you rest. Come to me, be with me. Come away with me. Follow me. This invitation. And Jesus will give you rest. Rest for your soul. In John 14... Jesus is explaining that he's about to be betrayed and he predicts that Peter is going to fall away from following him and the disciples are totally confused and scared. And then Jesus says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Again, do not let your hearts be troubled. I have prepared a place for you. Trust me. Come to where I am going. Follow me. This idea that, again, in his house, in his father's house, there's many rooms. In John chapter 16, Jesus is talking about leaving, sending the Holy Spirit. They have no idea what he's talking about. And then, again, the disciples are totally confused, which seems to happen over and over again throughout the scriptures. They have no idea what's going on, and they're just confused. And that their rabbi is going to be taken up, which all seems totally mysterious to them. And then Jesus says this, 
I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So what we see over and over again is that Jesus promises peace in different ways, but he certainly promises peace. He promises peace of mind. He promises peace to my heart, peace to my future, and that he loves us. He sees us. He hears us. He values us, and he will take care of us. And we have to remember, too, that the peace that Jesus offers is, is really in here, which is where I need peace the most. He offers us that peace. We keep trying to, well, I can, I'll say we, because I'm pretty sure it's true of most or all of us. We keep trying to control things. If only I can control to fix, right, to fix what's on the outside to bring peace onto the inside. But again and again, Jesus says, I am the peace that you are looking for. We cannot control this enough to bring peace. And even if I get it there for a little bit, it's only going to be momentary. And then something is going to happen and mess all of it up. But Jesus says, I will give you peace, even amidst everything that's going on. Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, says, Rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How much of our life is spent being anxious? How much of our life is spent trying to control as much as we can Again, believing if I make the world as I want it, I'll find peace. And we worry, we fret, we control, we get close to our ideal, and then the storms of life mess it all up again. And the whole time, Jesus is inviting us to trust him and follow him. That is pretty funny, huh? Find peace in him and him alone. I think an amazing, beautiful story in all of this is found in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I mean, this, this one always kind of cracks me up in that the disciples are on a boat and they're crossing over from one side to another. And in the midst of it all, there's this huge storm that's just going off and they're all in the boat and they're freaking out. Even in this, this, this picture is kind of funny, right? I'm not sure why Mary's in there, and I'm not sure why the guy in back has no clothes on. We're just assuming he's really taking the news. It's difficult for him. He's having a bad time. Um, but here's Jesus sleeping. This is the biblical account. And in the midst of it all, Jesus sleeps to the point where they have to wake him up. And they say, don't you care if we're going to drown? And he gets up, and he rebukes the waves, and he calms the storm. But in the midst of it all, Jesus is sleeping the whole time. You can think like several things. Doesn't he care? Doesn't he care that they're about, going about to die? And that's what they say to him. Don't you care? Mark 
4.39, And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. In Psalm 46.10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Peace. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. You cannot, I cannot, we cannot stop the storms of life. We just can't. And we cannot control everything we want to control. There's so much that is outside of my control. And even the things I try to control, I mean, let's be honest. Do I always get it right? How many of us have tried to control the situation to get what it is that we wanted, only to find out that the decisions we made in the end, it was not the best decision? We try to control, and we get it right sometimes, and then we don't get it right other times. But we can experience the peace of God by devoting ourselves to the person and purposes of Jesus. Again, peace, be still. When we started out the service, we were singing worship songs. Not that that's the only way that we worship, but it's just that we're singing worship songs. And one of the ways, there are several things we can do. There's postures that people take during worship. And again, worship is just me acknowledging that God is who he is, that he is King Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is with me. Again, I'm, I'm giving him adoration. I'm giving him devotion. And so there's several different postures that we can take. We can put our hands out like this because we want to receive or whatever it is that we're doing. Um, we can be on our knees because we are saying that you are my king, that I, I, I submit to you, I, I give myself to you. Or we can have our hands up in the air and just, again, exalting him. But there is a posture within worship that I think is probably the single most powerful posture of all, where you will experience the power and the pleasure of God. I'm making a major claim here. Out of all the postures of worship, I'm saying that this one is where you can experience the power and the pleasure of God more than any other posture of worship. Are you ready for this? Okay, the owl party and then this right here. You guys are going to learn some major stuff today. This is it right here. Right here. Be still. And know that I am God. The disciples couldn't row enough. They couldn't get enough water out of the boat. They were worrying. They were fretting. They were freaking out. They were anxious. And all the while Jesus is sleeping. Trying to catch some Z's. Literally, in a hammock. Catching a catnap. The power and the pleasure of the Lord Jesus be upon us all. <laughs> That's not a joke at all. I had a friend, I don't sleep well. Um, 
I'm a fairly anxious person as it is. Some of us are more anxious than others. Um, and he could sleep anywhere, anytime. I'm like, how do you do that? I mean, the guy could just fall asleep in five minutes and sleep through the night. I'm just like, you're the, you are the man. Oh my gosh. And so he would tell me, he said, every time I fall asleep, all of what I do is I just picture Jesus standing in front of me with his hands out, asking me for everything that is making me anxious and frustrating me. And he just stands in front of me, and I just start handing him all of my worries, all of my concerns, all of my frustrations. And I just keep handing him all of these things. What a beautiful picture. Because you know you can't sleep when you're over-anxious. That's just a reality. One of the loudest places on planet Earth is my pillow. Hands down. It seems like everything is like on overload. And it's just silent in the house. My beautiful wife is sleeping and I'm not. She didn't hear me. So again, right here. Can you worship him in this way? Well, I don't have enough time. Well, why not? I'm too anxious. Well, what can you give him? We're going to do what we've been doing the last few weeks. We're probably going to keep doing it as we go through this sermon series. We are going to ask a question to Jesus. Um, there are three by five cards in each of the rows. If you want to participate, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Uh, I'm just going to read through uh, Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary. I'm going to read through that scripture a couple different times. After that, I'm going to put a, a question that then you're going to ask Jesus, and then you write down your answer on this three by five card. Um, after that, I'll have uh, them uh, passed up to the front, and I will read them. Um, so it's all going to be anonymous. Uh, but if you want to participate in that, it's a really cool exercise. Again, the reason that I'm going to read them, all of these together, is because following Christ is something that we do together. And when you hear what other people put down, it's very powerful for us as a community together. So again, I'm going to read this scripture a couple different times. I'm just going to, if you're willing, you don't have to participate if you don't want to. I'm just going to shut our eyes and I'm going to read through this a couple of different times. And then I'll put the question up on the TV here, and you'll write down your answer on the 3 by 5 card. So if you want to participate, what I ask you to do is just sit quietly and shut your eyes. Not do anything for just a moment. And I'm going to read through this scripture slowly twice. This is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, 
all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this is the question that we're going to ask Jesus. Jesus, what in my life is robbing me of your peace? Jesus says that he'll speak to us. The Holy Spirit will speak to us. If you don't feel as if you hear from God on a regular basis, write down the first thing that comes into your mind that you feel like might be Jesus. Again, this is practice. We're practicing hearing the voice of the Lord. So if you get it wrong, it'll be all right. About 20 more seconds, and then I'm just going to come around and pick the cards up. All right, if you have a finished card, then you can just pass it to the center.
what is robbing me of your peace in my life? My job can be very stressful, and I feel that I want all of the conditions there to be perfect. Lots of time being deeply personal in prayer. Trying to be in control and live life according to my will and power instead of giving it to God and asking for his help and will to be done. Worry. My own self-will and ego. Myself. Complete surrender and confident dependence. Health issues. Worry is robbing me of God's peace. Busyness. My expectations of other people. Not trusting what other people are saying. My desire to have things the way I think they should be. Or in other words, my lack of trust in Jesus for all. My to-do list is robbing me of peace. Or your to-do list is robbing you of peace. Health issues, both my husband and myself, too much, preoccupa too much preoccupation with all of this. Health, money, toxic shame and overthinking, worrying about the future. Hmm. Hopefully that's helpful in the sense that in many ways we all probably wrestle with certain aspects of things that were shared, that we're not alone. And that Jesus is offering us peace to follow him, to say yes to him. And that this is not something that we do it and then we're done with it and we don't have to do it again tomorrow. That's why when we talk about you don't just throw a garden seeds out there and hope that a garden comes up. We're very intentional about the way that we use our time and that we connect up with him and then we connect in with one another and then we allow ourselves to be a part of God's mission here on earth. Again, these practices are tried and true. Christianity is 2,000 years old. We're not inventing anything and so this idea of spiritual practices that help us to grow us deeper into the soil of Christ, to find that peace, to help us navigate all of these things that Jesus would reveal to us we're wrestling with. We are going to take communion. We do this every Sunday. The communion table is open or you can come and take communion if you are a follower of Jesus or if you would like to start following Jesus today. This represents the peace of God. This represents the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. This is the sign of the covenant that he has left with us. There are several things that are 
beautiful about communion. One is, this is his body, this is his blood, and I literally ingest them. That Jesus is inside of me. That King Jesus is in me. The kingdom of God is within me. And the other thing that's beautiful is that it's not gold and diamonds that he chooses to use bread and wine because bread and fruit exist within almost every household on earth in some form and that the kingdom of God is meant to be for the everyday man and woman and to be in all of our homes. So the covenant, the sign of the covenant, again, his body broken for us and the blood poured out for us. If you are a follower of Christ or if you would like to start following Christ today, you can come down and take communion. The way that we do this is if you are, want to come down and take communion, you come down the center aisle here, you take a piece of the cracker, you dip it into the wine, and then you go around the sides like this so we can have a good flow of people. We hold on to the elements until we all have them, and then I will pray for communion and we can take them together. So if you would like to take communion, please come forward. Jesus, thank you for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for all that you have done and are doing. Thank you that you give us peace. Give us the peace that we desire. Lord, we ask that uh, you would continue to speak to us, continue to help us to know who we are in you and who you are to us. Thank you for the gift of your body and blood. Let's partake. Well, I'm going to stand. I'm just going to pray a prayer blessing over us before we head downstairs to the potluck. If you can't join us, that's fine. We'd love for you to join us if you could. If you did need prayer for anything specific, there'd be some folks down here afterwards that would lay hands on you and pray for you. Anything that you're wrestling with you just can't find traction with or uh, something you need help with, there's in the Bible people laid hands on each other and prayed for each other, and so that's something that we do here. Um, well, Lord, we thank you for this time to be able to gather as your church. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your example. And we thank you for your life, Jesus. Would you help us to be able to trust you, to, to really give you what it is that we're holding on to, the things that we wrestle with, and to be able to picture you, Lord, as we shut our eyes, asking for everything that hurts us, that we're anxious about, that we're worried about, and that we would be able to place all of those things upon your shoulders. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us, that you would empower us to be able to live kingdom lives, to be able to go out and demonstrate the kingdom of God all around this city, God, to all of our loved ones, and that those who don't know you would come to know you. So we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you want a prayer for anything, please come on up.